The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. All right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. And for those of you out in YouTube land, hope you're doing well as, as well. I'm glad you were able to join us this morning. I want to start off with a visual. I want you to stop for a minute and imagine something with me. I want you to think, uh, we just wrapped up the Summer Olympics over the summer, and I want you to stop and just kind of imagine one of those athletes, one of the Olympic athletes. Um, if Olympics weren't your thing, you can think about professional sports players, um, military drill teams, maybe a prima ballerina, bodybuilder, um, any of these people who rise to the top of their profession. When you stop and you think about them, you know, especially the athletes in the Olympics, you think about, you know, their, their figure, how they look. You can tell they've put a lot of time and effort into getting where they are. Um, you know, and, and you never hear a story from these athletes that when they're in an interview that they say, oh, yeah, I just decided a couple of weeks ago I thought I'd come out here and swim, so I'm going to jump in the pool and, you know, compete in the 100-meter the free, right? You, you don't hear that. You hear about years of training and grueling activity. I can remember... I listened to an interview with one of the swimmers, and he was saying it had been like four years since he'd had any dessert. Like his, his you know, food is so regimented that he hadn't had any dessert for four years. So that's what he was looking forward to the most after he completed his, his you know, race was he was going to go have dessert because he didn't have to prepare for that moment any, anymore. But what we learned in, in watching some of those and as we picture those people we learn that to get to that level, to, to compete at that level, it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of discipline. And, and I don't know if you know this, but discipline is really hard. Um, if you've ever tried to modify your diet or start a workout routine, you, you know that. Um, so hopefully that covers everyone in this room. You've done something that requires discipline, and it's hard. Discipline is defined as training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior. So what does this have to do with us? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is great news because that means it's magic, right? You don't have to do anything. As soon as you get saved, you go from being screwed up and sinful and messed up to perfect, right? That's the experience you guys all had, right? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Thank goodness. We didn't become perfect Christians overnight who memorized the entire Bible and, and did everything perfect, right? We have disciplines we have to practice. There are, there are things that, that are laid out for us in Scripture that we're instructed that to become more like Jesus, we have to practice a pattern of behaviors that help us become more like Jesus. It doesn't just happen overnight. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, when it says work out your salvation, it's not saying earn your own salvation. But think of it like working out for the Olympics, right? You have to go do those disciplines day after day. You have to get up at four o'clock every morning and go for a run. You have to hit the weight room. You have to work out. You have to do these things. So working out is hard. Again, like we talked about, it requires that repetition and that discipline that those those people at the top of their profession have exhibited. You know, if you if you continue to do the right thing, you see those good results you're seeking. You know, if you change your diet and you say, I'm going to eat a Hershey bar at every meal, it's probably not going to result in that, you know, bikini body that you want for the summer or whatever it is. You're not going to be fit. You're not going to be healthy. You can't just do what you want and expect certain results. You have to know what your goal is and do the activities that help get you to that point. So today we're going to talk about a couple of disciplines that I think are extremely important to our Christian life, and they come out of Matthew chapter 6. So if you're familiar with this passage, Jesus is, is preaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount is what it's famously known as. Jesus is sitting down, he's teaching his disciples, and this is where it starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and, and all of those things, right? He walks through a series of, of those blesseds. Um, he does some teaching, and then he moves on in chapter 6, and he's talking about some spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to focus on two of those today. One is giving, and the other is prayer. And so those are kind of my two main points this morning. And underneath each of those, we're going to look at the same three points. We're going to look at, a, at some warnings that he gives. We're going to look at some examples that he gives. And then we're going to look at rewards that he promises. So the reason I tell you that is if you're one of these people who likes to keep track how much time is left in the sermon, there's going to be two main points and three sub points for each. So as we work through, you can kind of figure out the time from there. Just helping you out. It's kind of like a progress bar. So with this, I kind of wanted to, to lay out there kind of how I look at these two, right? Giving seems fairly easy, right? We, we've all given something. Um, we may give more than others, we may give less than others, but giving is kind of straightforward. But prayer is kind of intimidating, right? A lot of new Christians worry a lot about prayer. You know, what am I supposed to say? What, what words do I say? How do I pray? How long do I pray? Where do I pray? You know, how do I do it right? And so as we talk through this, I want to give you some examples of what Jesus tells us specifically but I want to tell you one of the neat things about preparing for a sermon is God kind of opens your eyes and shares some things with you through that time. And as you meditate on it and you you're faced with some things that in your own life, you kind of go, huh, I wonder why I do this that way. And so I want to tell you this morning, as I come to you to share this, I come to you not as someone who's got all the all this under control and and perfect in these areas. I'm, I'm a beggar coming to a bunch of other beggars telling you how to get bread. All right. I'm going to share some things with you that God taught me, and I hope that they're helpful for you. So with that, we're going to open to Matthew chapter six, verses one through 15, and I'm going to read through it all. And then we'll jump back in and, and talk about the details. So Matthew chapter six, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word, I just pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would teach us something that we could use to apply to our lives to become more like you. I pray that um, the words from my mouth would be your words, that they would be helpful to other Christians who are trying to grow and trying to get closer to you and, and seeking after you. pray that you would open everyone's hearts to hear what you have to say today. And uh, we just thank you so much for the freedom to be able to do this in the country we live in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's start with giving. So giving is focused verses 1 through 4 in Matthew chapter 6. So what's the first thing he says? He gives you a warning, right? He says, beware. Beware of what? In John's version, beware of showing off, right? Don't do this to show off, to get other people to notice you. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Well, what's a hypocrite? When you go back into the original language, the, the word hypocrite comes from stage actors, right? It's, it's actors. It's people who are faking it. So if we go back to what we talked about earlier, if you and I are seeking to become Christians who are more like Jesus, who can, who can display our faith to the world, he's saying be real. Don't be an actor. Don't be someone who does this to try to show off, to try to get people to recognize what you're doing. Be the real deal. Work out your salvation. Again, you're not earning your salvation by giving. This isn't something where if you give, you get saved. But because you're saved, you're joyfully giving to others. But you're not doing it to be noticed. You're not trying to be recognized. I found an interesting thing here. In verse 2, he says, Thus, if you feel like giving to the needy, no, he says, when you give to the needy, we are called as Christians to give. And I know this is a struggle. If you're like me, you, you see people all the time, whether it's at Target or if you go into the city, people are asking for money. People are calling you on the phone asking for money. And, and you struggle with, do I give, that, do I give to them or, or do I withhold? What if they're going to use it on something bad that they shouldn't? You know, how do I, how do I decide who to give to and who not to? Um, I was having an interesting conversation the other day with a friend, and 
we were talking about the state of politics in the world today, right? And if you look, no matter which aisle, which side of the aisle you sit on, there's a whole lot of disagreement about how how do we take care of the poor, right? How do we take care of those who are less fortunate? Do we do that through taxes? Do we do that through whatever? And and the the problem is we're missing the mark there. As Christians, we are called to take care of the poor. We are called to give. So why are we in the state we're in in our country? It's not because of the Republicans. It's not because of the Democrats. It's honestly because of Christians. It's because we are not stepping up and giving. And it's not just money. It's time. You know, one of the easiest things you can do is drop a dollar in the cup of a beggar. When do you take that person and say, you know what, for this person to be this destitute, there must be something more going on in their life. Let me sit down and have a meal with them and talk to them and understand what's going on in their life. When do I invite them into my house and say, come, come live with me. I'll teach you. I'll help you learn a skill. I'll help you get a job. You know, it gets kind of uncomfortable at that point. It gets hard. And, and we all like to say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. That's someone else's. We'll let someone else do that. Right? But the reality is we're called to give. We're called to give of our time. We're called to give of our talents. We're called to give of our treasure. Right? Whatever it is, again, it's not ours. As Christians, we're being entrusted with these things. And we're being asked to use them for His glory. And so I find that interesting that he says, when you give. So why is it so important that Christians give to the needy? You know, one thing we always have to think back is that every person on this earth is created in the image of God. They are a child of God who needs love. And if you've got children, you know this truth. You can't love me more than, than loving my children. Right? If you treat my children well, it makes me happy. It brings me joy. If you treat my children poorly, watch out, right? It's the same for God. When we treat one of His children poorly, it, it breaks His heart. He wants us to love others, not because they deserve it, but because they are created in His image. He wants a relationship between us and the people around us, and not just the ones who it's easy to have a relationship with. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable and he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. And he's explaining this, this, you know, this truth that when you serve another person, you're loving him. And sometimes we miss that opportunity. And so the warning there is, you know, don't do this. Don't do these things to show off. And then we move on to the example in verses three and four. The example he gives is, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that's kind of difficult, right? If you think about it, and how does your right hand and left hand, right? They're both connected to the same brain. How, how do you do that? What does that mean? What does that look like in practicality? Sometimes that might mean doing something, giving to someone without your spouse knowing. Without your children knowing. Without walking in with a stack of boxes so everyone in church sees you. And I'm not saying that, that anybody who brought boxes this morning did it for that reason. Only you know that. But the question is, stop, pause, and think, why am I doing what I'm doing? 
Am I bringing boxes so that people notice me and think, wow, that person's a really good Christian? Or am I doing it to love others? Is this an opportunity for me to show the love of Christ to others? When's the last time you gave anonymously? If you're like me, there have been times you've given anonymously and then you're kind of like chomping at the bit. You want to tell the person that you did it, right? Cause you, and, and sometimes it's, it's good natured. You want them to know that someone cares about them and someone loves them. But we have to question our motives. Are we giving to be noticed? Are we giving so that person will be like, wow, you're really good. You're really kind. And so... We have to question our motives on these things. The other question is, what if you were giving to the church or to a ministry anonymously? What's that mean? Does that mean you don't get a receipt and you don't get to take the tax credit for it? Where's your motive if if that's what you're most worried about? I'm all for tax credit. But look at look at your heart. Why are you giving? Why are you doing what you're doing? So we have to question that. And, and that's the example that he gives is, is giving so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. You're not doing it to show off. He warns us about that in the beginning. You're doing it in secret. Then we move on to the reward in verse 4. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is such a cool thing, right? We always teach our kids, hey, God's watching you. Right? We want them to know that even if mom and dad can't see you, God's keeping an eye on you. Right? And we almost use that as a threat. But the cool thing here is when you're doing something good in secret that no one else sees, that no one else finds out about, God is looking down smiling. God is watching you. He sees that. He sees your heart. He understands what you're thinking. And he understands why you did it. It may not even turn out the way you planned. But God sees your heart. He sees you in secret. And here's the cool thing. He says in the beginning that if you do it to show off, that's your reward. That's all you get. But if you're doing it in secret, he says he will reward you. So as the time goes on, if we really grasp the fact that that almighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who loves us so much that he sent his son is going to reward us. We'll stop caring about people noticing because we'll want to do it in secret because it leads to a reward. So here's a quick caveat for you. Pastor Brian mentioned earlier the march to the manger, right? Every, every Christmas we do the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and, and, and the money that goes to um, the wells and, and to water. And we do that as a group, right? We walk forward. Does that mean you're wrong if you walk forward with your family or you come forward and, and place something in the manger? I don't think there's a straight answer to that. Depends on your heart. Maybe if that's something you struggle with, if you feel like God's calling you to give anonymously or give without people seeing, maybe it's you drop it in the offering basket and you say this is for that purpose. Maybe walking forward is something you struggle with because you feel like you're showing off. Maybe it's not, and that's okay. That's the the amazing thing about our relationship with God is it's my relationship between me and God. It's your relationship between you and God. So the things that he impresses on my heart may be different than what he impresses on your heart. But you have to stop and question, 
what's going on in my heart. So as we move on from giving, he moves on to prayer. Jesus is, is teaching about giving. He gives us that information. He gives us a warning, gives us the example, and then he, gives the, he talks about a reward. And then we move on to prayer, verses 5 through 15. And he starts off and he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, right? Here's those hypocrite guys again, those actors, those fakers, those posers, those people who aren't really what they pretend to be. So what are they doing with prayer? I don't know that I've ever seen anyone in this church have trumpets go before them when they're ready to pray, but that's that's kind of the picture here. And that's what was going on in the temple was you had these people come in their fancy robes to stand and, and proclaim and, you know, stand on their soapbox and they would pray loudly with fancy words and, and they wanted to be heard. So they made sure the trumpets blared that they were getting ready to pray. They're showing off so they can be seen. And again, he says that's their reward. And he, and he says as part of the warning in verses 5, 7, and 8, he says don't say empty words. So what are empty words? As, as I thought about my own prayers and I thought about prayers I've heard, some, some phrases immediately came to mind. Phrases like, Dear Lord, Lord God, Father God. Right? Sometimes we're saying God's name. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. But why are we saying them? Are we saying them like an um? Is it, is it just a pause in our prayer? I think of it often as a conversation between me and God. And I, and I think about if I'm having a conversation with one of you, if I'm talking to Pastor Brian, I don't say, hi, Pastor Brian, how are you today, Pastor Brian? It's great to see you, Pastor. I really like your shirt today, Pastor. Right? I don't say his name over and over in a conversation just because. He knows I'm talking to him. I might say it at the beginning. I may you know, reverently say something as we're talking, but it's, it's a conversation. And so as we stop and we look at how we pray, we need to think about the warning about, about showing off? Are we saying grandiose things in our prayer that maybe we, we don't even really mean? As humans, we get stuck in ruts, right? If, if you pray regularly, you're going to start to say some of the same phrases. You're going you're gonna to do things the same way. And I think it's healthy for each of us to pause and think about why am I doing what I'm doing? Do I really mean what I'm saying? So the question comes, what about corporate prayer, right? If, if you're not supposed to stand and, and proclaim and have trumpets and all that, what do you do when Pastor Brian says, hey, will you come up and, and pray for a Sunday morning? Some of you are all automatically going, hey, I got my out now. John said we're not supposed to do that. That's wrong. <laughs> so again, it, it goes back to a heart thing, right? Are you coming up here to show off? Are, are you preparing a prayer that you don't really mean? Are you going on the internet and saying, what, you know, what are good prayers? And, and you're trying to put something together that sounds great, but, but when you're praying, it's not coming from your heart. It's not a conversation between you and God. Or what about some of the denominations who repeat written prayers, right? Are those, are those wrong? I would say the same thing with some of our songs. Some of our songs are prayers. They're, they're asking God for things. What I would challenge you to do is stop and think, what are the words that I'm saying? Do I even mean them? You know, if I'm singing, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. 
Do I mean that or am I just singing it because that's the words that's on the screen? When I'm praying, do I really mean God change this community, use me? Or am I just saying that because it's something I found on the internet or something I heard someone else say, so I'm going to repeat it. You know, I heard Mr. Lewis say it one time, so it must be good, right? Now, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. If, if any of this hits home to you, I'm not criticizing you. I'm not, I'm not one to criticize how you pray or what you say. That, that's not my intent at all. I, I too, some of these things hit me as I was thinking about my prayers. So I want to share two pieces of good news for you. One is, it's like exercise. If you've ever done any kind of exercise or physical therapy, and most of us are probably more familiar with that than the intentional exercise, right? I had some back problems and I had to go through physical therapy and they gave me exercises. And, and one of the things the physical therapist would do would be come along and align you and say, no, you're doing good, but you need to drop your butt a little bit, right? Or you need to rotate your shoulder a little bit. And when you would do it, all of a sudden you're like, but that's a lot harder, right? I want to go the other way. But what they'll tell you is exercise matters, but exercising the right way matters even more. So doing those little tweaks matter. So my goal here isn't to tear you down. My goal here is to help you look at yourself, question how is it that I'm praying so that I can pray better as I do that. I'm not here to say you're, you're wrong, but I want you to be intentional. In the same way that you, you exercise and you work out and you, you develop that, that way of building strength, we can do the same thing in being more intentional about how we pray. Second is this, and this is so encouraging. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's great news. If you don't know how to pray, if you mess up, you say something wrong, it's okay. If, you're, if you've ever been so broken that you're crying and you're sobbing and snot is running down your face, and, and you're not even intelligible as you talk out loud. People are sitting there going, what is that person saying? The Holy Spirit knows your heart and He's interceding for you with God. He's taking those things that have broken your heart and He's sharing them with God. So it's great news that if you say Lord God too many times or you say um or you stumble over a word or you try to recite a passage of Scripture and you screw it up, God's not up there going, oh, He screwed up, I'm not listening anymore. The Spirit is, is going on our behalf. So in verse 8, he also says, God knows what you need before you even ask. So it kind of begs the question, why pray? If the Spirit's interceding on our behalf when we can't talk, and God already knows what we need, why are we praying? So we'll come back to that in a second. But the last part of the warning is pray in secret. Again, is it wrong to pray in public? No. 
But if the only time you ever pray is in public and you're doing it to show off and to be noticed, maybe there's something wrong. Something wrong in your heart. And you need to stop and analyze that and think about it. So we move on from the warning in prayer to an example. And this is probably one of the most famous sections, you know, probably second to John 3.16. But a lot of us grew up saying the Lord's Prayer, right? Either in a church, at a funeral, at bed. I remember I used to say it at bed when I was younger. We would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I think we, I, at least me, I missed some opportunities to learn what Jesus was really saying. I was repeating the words, but again, I wasn't really thinking what, what he was saying. And when he introduces this, this example, he says, pray like this. He doesn't say, you know, this is the only way you can pray. You must follow these words or I'm not listening. But as he goes through this, I'm not going to dissect this, this passage and go through all the specifics of what all this stuff means. I've heard pastors take like eight-week sermon series just to break apart the Lord's Prayer and what it all means. I'm going to share with you a few things that God laid on my heart as I was working through this. The first thing is this. Who are we praying to? And this might seem like kind of a duh question, but I want you to stop and, and think about the theological importance of something. We're praying to the Father. He starts off with our Father in heaven. So why does this matter? If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard about the Trinity, and it's a complicated concept. I get that, and don't worry, I'm not digging into that today. We don't have time for that. But one of the things we learn about the Trinity is that there are three distinct persons of God. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And they each have different roles that they fulfill. And the neat thing, as a, as a kid growing up, I wondered about, you know, why, why don't we pray to the Holy Spirit? Like, am I leaving him out? Should I include him in more of my prayers? Um, should I talk to him? And, and while they're three distinct persons, they're one God. So that, that I get it, that's confusing. But one of the things we, we learn here is in, in John 14, verse 13, Jesus is talking to Philip. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. And so one of the things we learn here is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, in their persons, both seek to glorify God the Father. They're both constantly trying to point us back to God the Father. And so we're praying to the Father... Right? We already heard about the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And then Jesus is saying in John, ask in my name. And so a lot of you have grown up at the end of your prayer, you know, sincerely, John, by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? That's the only, we just say it as a signature at the end of our prayer. But what does that mean? When we stop and we think about it, it what it's really telling us, it's a reminder to us that as a sinner, I have broken the relationship with God. I don't deserve and I'm not permitted to go back to God on my own and, and start that conversation again because I've broken the relationship with my sin. So how did that get restored? That got restored through the blood of Jesus. So when I go to pray and I'm talking to the Father, I'm going in the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm reminding myself 
that I don't deserve to even talk to you anymore, God. I've screwed up. I've broken the relationship. So I'm coming to you asking these things. And the only way I can come to you is in the name of Jesus. And so we often think of them as magic words, right? If I pray in Jesus' name, then that, that made magic happen. But it helps remind me of my brokenness. You know, he starts off the prayer with, holy is your name, when we're talking to the Father. And that should be an instant reminder when we're praying to be in the right heart to say, you're holy, I'm not. I'm coming to you broken. I'm coming to you begging. And the only way I can do that is because you sent your son to die for me. To restore that relationship. In verse 8, we learn a little bit about why. So we know who we're praying to. But we learn a little bit about why. He says that he know, God knows what we need before we even pray. So then why pray? Why ask for something if he already knows? So again, it's all about a relationship. Our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. God desires to have a relationship with each and every one of you. He wants to have an active relationship, not a sign my ticket so I get out of hell, right? He wants to commune with you every day. He wants to build that relationship with you. He wants to know what's on your heart, what's on your mind. And so as we come to him, it's all about that vertical relationship between him and us. He wants to build and restore that broken relationship that our sin has caused. And then through that, he also wants to build and restore the relationship with those around us. He talks about forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And so part of that is, yes, God, you, you're the only one who can forgive our sins, but he ties it to as we forgive others. So if I'm not forgiving others, can God forgive me? Sure, he's God. He can do anything he wants. But his point is, if you're not forgiving others, you're not restoring those horizontal relationships. If I've wronged you, I can go to God and ask forgiveness. But he's telling me, go restore the relationship with the other people. Again, they are people created in his image. They're people that he wants us to build relationships with in that horizontal manner so that our vertical relationship is healthy. In verse 10, he talks about, his kingdom come and his will be done. So why does that matter? You know, it changes our focus. It helps us stop and think, what are we asking for? You know, if, if I'm praying and I say, you know, dear God, I really want a new Ferrari in my driveway. <laughs> Matt said amen. Right? It, it may be something we want, but it, but what he's reminding us is, to be focused on His kingdom. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, I struggle sometimes, and I've struggled my entire life, praying for things that seem 
miraculous to get there. And I've struggled with how can I pray and ask for the healing of someone when we know we live in a, in a deteriorating world. We live in a world full of sickness, pain, and disease. So if, if I'm constantly praying, heal this person, heal this person, heal this person, and they die, does that mean God didn't answer my prayer? Maybe what He's looking for from me is to stop saying heal this person because that's what I want. I want the person to be healed. Maybe what I should be praying is, God, how can you use this sickness, this disease, this pain to love others? And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you an, an honest thing, and I didn't ask permission in advance, so I apologize. Um, but we pray for Miss Rebecca all the time with my kids. And that's where I try to focus my kids on is the fact that in Rebecca's sickness and in her pain and in the, fam, in, in the pain that the Todd family has been going through and dealing with the sickness, I've been so impressed by their ability to love others through it and to share the gospel. And so we can choose to focus on the selfishness of, I want Rebecca to be healed. And that's, that's okay. I think God wants us to ask those things, those things that are on our heart that, that are weighing us down, that, that are our deepest desires. But I think He also wants to shift us and say, what else could be happening here? See it through His kingdom lens. And then all of a sudden we realize Rebecca's earthly body doesn't matter so much because one day she's going to be given a glorified body. And none of this pain is going to matter. But what she does through this sickness could make an eternal difference in the lives of those around her. And so as we pray and we, and we think about those things, you know, we focus on, on God's point of view from everything. Maybe as we're praying, to tie this back into the first section, we think about someone who we could give to, maybe anonymously, right? We think about someone who's struggling, someone who needs something, and, and all of a sudden it goes from what I want, the Ferrari in the driveway, to maybe I could take whatever little money I have that's not enough to buy a Ferrari, and I could feed someone, or I could put a roof over their head. You know, he talks about give us this day our daily bread and we learn about our dependence on him. And this is a tie back to the Old Testament where the Israelites had manna and every day they had to trust that the manna was going to be there. If they gathered it up, it would rot and they wouldn't get any more. And so they had to get just what they needed for the day. And so they were depending on him for what they needed for today. And it reminds us to focus on what we need, not necessarily what we want. Verse 12 to 15 is really focusing, as I talked about, about building, that, building and restoring those horizontal relationships, forgiving one another, working through, I, when I sin, I break the relationship with God, but most of my sins are focused on somebody else. I've somehow wronged someone else. And so in order to restore that relationship with God, he's, He wants us to restore that relationship with the people around us, the people that I've wronged. The hard part is they may not even know that you've wronged them. And so how do you start that conversation, those difficult conversations about, you know, I wronged you. I did something you didn't even know about, but I need to confess that to you 
and, and build that relationship. We're encouraged throughout the entire New Testament to pray for one another, to intercede for one another. And, and again, as, as a child and as a teenager growing up, I used to wonder, what's the point? If, you know, is it like a petition where if you get X number of signatures, God will act? Do I need, you know, if, if I only get 99 of you to pray for a situation, then, you know, God's not going to act. But if I get that hundredth person, all of a sudden miracles are going to, you know, fall from the heavens. I don't think it is. I think the point of praying for for one another and interceding for one another is more about building those horizontal relationships with each other. It's more about sharing each other's burdens. And I want to take a quick second and digress to share a couple of my pet peeves and some things that I think that we do wrong that um, or, or people in our culture do wrong that we miss out on opportunities. So one of those is if you're a social media user, um, regularly people will get on and say, hey, you know, such and such is going on. Please pray for me. And if you look at people's comments, they'll say things like sending prayers your way or, you know, prayers sent. And I always stop and, and I've started to be sensitive to this. I've started to notice it more. And now you probably will, too. But there's a lot of people who say things like that. And I stopped and, and thought about it. And I'm like, well, I don't want you sending prayers to me. I'm the person with the problem, right? I want you to pray to the God who can control all of this to do something about it. And so when we think about, when we tie it back to who do we pray to, we're praying to God the Father. We're praying to the creator of the universe. We're praying to Almighty God, the Holy One, who can actually affect things. And when we throw up flippant statements like, oh, I'm praying for you, but we never actually pray for you, or we say things like, I'm sending prayers your way. Are we really? Or are we just saying some words that are kind of meaningless, hoping that it'll help someone feel better? The other thing is, and Matt, I know you'll laugh at this, um, unspoken prayers, right? If, if you've grown up in church, you've all been part of unspoken prayer requests. Um, you know, I can remember in, in my teenage years, and Miss Kim probably deals with this on a weekly basis, you know, it would get to somebody and they would go, I have 12 unspokens, right? And, and how do you pray for someone when there's 12 unspokens, right? Is that different than one unspoken? Am I just praying for you in general? So here's the reason that I think that we do that. We often do that because we think this is too personal. I don't want to share it with everybody. And there's a time and place for that. I get it, right? You may not be comfortable sharing with a large group what your prayer requests are. But when you're sharing with another individual, I think part of the beauty of asking someone to pray for you is being able to share those, those nasty, dirty details of this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm dealing with so that someone can help bear that burden with you. So someone can come along beside you and ask next week, how are you doing with this? And give you a specific thing. I've been thinking about this all week. And maybe they come with a suggestion or, or some offer of help. But when we say unspoken, we miss that opportunity. We miss the opportunity to build relationships with the people around us. You know, one of the things as I was preparing this that really hit me was when I know the details of what you're going through, I'm more likely to reach out to you and ask you, how's this going? 
If I'm just praying for you by name and just saying, Dear God, pray for Tyler. Dear God, pray for Matt. Dear, What am I praying for? Right? I'm mentioning your name. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about going deeper with you in community and fellowship, especially as a church body. You know, I think of it like this. If I said this prayer, God, I pray for Ann, and I pray for John, and I pray for our missionaries. Right? We hear prayers like that all the time. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. It's great to remember people by name. But are we invested? When we pray for Ann, are we praying because she has an MRI coming up in January that will tell her if the tumor has grown? Does that put a new sense of urgency on our heart and something to reach out and follow up with Jim and Ann to find out how that went? Does that help them feel more loved and connected? Or as I pray for John, am I realizing that we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of Miss Betty passing away? And I recognize that his heart is breaking as a husband. And then he has hard days. And does it remind me to reach out to him and say, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, how you holding up? How's Molly? How's Steve? Or when I'm praying for missionaries. Some of you know Alyssa, who came from our body, who's a missionary, got married a month and a half ago, two months ago. Maybe as you're praying for her by name and you go, hey, she just got married. She's young. Bet she's broke. Right? You all remember getting married, being young, being broke. Maybe all of a sudden you go, maybe I should send them something. Help them start their life out and let them know someone loves them. Or maybe you say I should send it anonymously. Send them a gift. Right? There's a difference there between just rattling off a list of names on a prayer request list and really digging in and saying, God, what is going on in these people's lives? How can I impact them? How can I develop this relationship. So it's an opportunity for us to go deeper than just rattling off a series of names. The last thing that I noticed is in verse 13, he talks about temptation. And here's the thing. We already talked about God sees in secret, right? He knows what we're tempted with. He knows what we're struggling with. But when we put it out there, there's something different about being honest about our struggles, about something that's weighing us down. And maybe in doing that, as we're praying for others, it's going to bring up a name and we're going to say, you know what? I feel like I should go talk to somebody about this, somebody that I can share this burden with, who can help me bear my burden in the same way that I'm helping others bear theirs. So it's an opportunity again to build community. And then we circle back for the reward section of prayer. In verse 6, he sneaks in the reward and he contrasts it with the hypocrite's reward. He says, if you're noticed and you have the trumpets and everyone's paying attention to you, that's your reward. But then he talks about your reward for doing it the right way, for doing it in secret. What is the reward? Well, it's a secret. Sort of. So, He reminds us that He sees us in secret and that He will reward us. 
in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a serpent? If you then, all of us, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of Him? I would encourage you, if you want to read more about rewards, in, as you continue through the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about laying up treasures in heaven. So you can read the rest of that through Matthew chapter 6 and chapter 7. But in closing, I want to I tie this all together. My goal here is for us to each have noticed something that maybe is a weakness in our own working out of our salvation. As we are attempting to work out and grow stronger and become more like Jesus that we have caught on to something that we go, hey, that's something I do. And I never even realized I did it. You know, I just, that's how I learned. And I just repeat the same thing every night before I go to bed. Or, you know, I, I keep a prayer list, but all I do is read through the names. I don't really know what's going on. I don't point out these flaws to be critical of ourselves or to say that there's a magic formula in how you do this right but rather for us to be intentional. To recognize giving and praying as opportunities to love God, that vertical relationship, and love others, that horizontal relationship. Because after all, those are the greatest commandments. When Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, love God and love others. So let's be intentional. Let's put real thought behind what we do. And I think what you'll see is your relationship with those around you will grow. You'll grow deeper. You'll find people who can help share your burdens. You'll be able to help others share their burdens. And you'll build that relationship with God. You'll build a stronger relationship with Him. So I would encourage you this week, pick somebody to pray for. And if you don't know what exactly to pray for, maybe God's laying someone on your heart and you're like, I don't really know what's going on in their lives. Pick up the phone, call them, take them out to lunch and just say, hey, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for? Give me some details. And I think what you'll notice is next week when you see that person, you'll go up and you'll go, hey, how's this going? You know, what's going on with you here? Or if they have a big test coming up, you may call them and say, how did it go? You know, how are you doing with that? And forgiving, maybe this week you need to give anonymously. Maybe you need to Send a gift card to somebody in a blank envelope that just says here. Maybe you need to do something to bless somebody in a way that you'll never get credit for except for from God. And I think what you'll find is that you will be blessed in a way that you don't even fully comprehend. And so I would challenge you, take these things, commit now to do something this week. Commit in your heart, whatever God's laying on your heart, do these things. But I... I hope that coming out of this that you will be more intentional with how you give and how you pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you broken and, and sinful and we just ask that you would hear our hearts, Lord, the things that we don't even know to pray. 
I ask that the words that we heard this morning and, and what Jesus spoke so many years ago would truly impact our hearts to help us to love you more and to love others more. God, as we go about this week, I ask that you would help us to remember others in our prayers, that we would lift up specifics and that we would reach out and and build those deeper relationships with the Christians around us. That by doing so, it would build that relationship with you and we would go deeper in our faith. Watch us as we go from this place. Lord, we pray that our lives would be honoring to you. And God, most of all, we're so thankful for this time of year that we celebrate the time that you sent your son to live on this earth, to deal with the temptations that we deal with and ultimately lead to his death on a cross. But God, we're so thankful that's not the end of the story, that he rose again to conquer death on our behalf. And we can't thank you enough for all the things that you do, because without you, we would have no relationship anymore. And so we do come to you in the name of Jesus, knowing that there's no other way that we can come to you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for restoring that relationship. We pray that we would reach out to those we have wronged to rebuild those horizontal relationships and go deeper in our relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.